Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. Today's topic, the end before the beginning. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And today I want us to consider various scripture passages that are going to tell us something about the whole purpose of Christ's coming and how we know why He came by looking at the end, the goal to which everything is moving which is what we call the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians around the world pause once a year to think about the birth of Jesus the Messiah. We celebrate his birth with carols and readings and musicals and plays, the giving of gifts, and certainly this can all be appropriate. But in a way, we pushed the celebration of Christmas way back, four to six weeks ahead of time. And we began the celebration then so that by the time we get to Christmas Day and to the days after it, we've exhausted ourselves and we no longer really grasp the meaning of it all. We need to think about it and we need to think about it in the scriptural terms of where the birth of Jesus was leading. Why did he come? So what I'm saying is that by pushing the birth celebration of Jesus back for a month or more, it has robbed us of much of its meaning, much of its mystery. Perhaps we think too much about baby Jesus and his young mother, and we lose the fact that his birth was an entry of one who has always existed into the reality of a fully human life in order to redeem, that is to save a people by his suffering and death and his resurrection from the dead when he was at the peak of his manhood. In order to keep the fuller picture of who exactly was born of the Virgin Mary, the church has usually begun a consideration of his incarnation by means of Mary's virgin conception through the Holy Spirit with a focus on his return, his future return, his second advent. This same Jesus, who was born of Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, was buried, and rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven, is coming back to this earth. This is where history is moving. So here's an irony. If you want to remember and celebrate his birth in Bethlehem in the fullest possible way, biblically and as a Christian, begin with the end. He who has come. He who did come will come again. Now consider with me some Bible passages that help us grasp and wonder at the greatness, the majesty, and the mystery of the one born of Mary. Let's begin with Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the International Standard Version. Paul opens his letter this way. Paul, a servant or a slave of Jesus the Messiah, called to be an apostle and set apart for God's gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. He was a descendant of David with respect to his humanity, and he was declared by the resurrection from the dead to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus the Messiah our Lord. Now let's focus again on those verses for just a second. I want to pull out the words 
that stand out. Jesus the Messiah, God's son, a descendant of David and the powerful son of God. That's who was born on that day, whatever day of the year it was, when Jesus of Nazareth was born of Mary. Here's what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, of the seed of David, or we could say a descendant of David, or we could say of the offspring of David. Remember Jesus Christ, who comes from the family line of David, risen from the dead, as preached in my gospel or the International Standard Version again, meditate on Jesus the Messiah who was raised from the dead and is a descendant of David. This is the gospel I tell others. Now, are you catching the significance of some phraseology that we don't necessarily grasp sometimes? Jesus is called the son of David. Now, if you're familiar with the gospel accounts, the narrative of the ministry of Jesus Christ, many times the people, especially people in need of deliverance or healing, called out to him and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, what's the significance of all this son of David talk? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ helps us. Because you see, as he comes to the close of his ministry in It's just a few days now before his betrayal, his crucifixion, his death and burial. He has encounters in Jerusalem with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the people who were asking him questions, these religious leaders. They were trying to trap him with questions about religion and politics and the mixing of the two. Jesus was wiser than all of them, and he always gave the best possible response directly from the word of God, and he silenced his critics so much so that at the end, Jesus asked them a question. He turned it all around. Here we read in Matthew 22, 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So he's saying, What about the Messiah? Whose son is he? What's his lineage? And they said to him, the son of David. Now that's a correct answer. Jesus didn't say it wasn't correct. Instead, what he says, he builds upon it and he asks them another question. So he said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord, that is Yahweh, said to my Lord, my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, there's a quote from Psalm 110, which reads as following in the Lexham English Bible. A declaration of Yahweh to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh will send out your mighty scepter from Zion Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer in the day of your power. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, you will have the dew of your youth. Yahweh has sworn, and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the manner 
of Melchizedek. So Yahweh is speaking to my Lord, and he is calling him a priest forever, and he is calling him a king, the king who will rule God's kingdom. So Jesus asked him this question. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And they fell silent. No one was able to answer him a word. So much so that after an awkward period of silence, they began to leave. And from that day, no one else dared to ask him any more questions until he comes to his trial before the high priest. Do you notice what this scripture is saying? Jesus, the Messiah, that is the Messiah, he is the son of David. He's the offspring of David. In other words, he has a family line that goes all the way back to King David. Now, in reality, he has one that goes all the way back to Abraham and all the way back to Adam. Read Luke's gospel. But David and Abraham are very important. Why? Because this is the ones with whom God cut the covenants. The covenant he cut with Abraham and the covenant he cut with David. They are covenants of promise. And Jesus is a fulfillment of those promises. He is the fulfillment of these covenants. He is the descendant of Abraham, and he is the son of David. Therefore, he is in the royal line of kingship over Israel to be king of the kingdom of God. If you were not a descendant of David, then you could not qualify for the throne. But he was a descendant of David. But it tells us something else. Son of David speaks about Jesus' true and real humanity. He is bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, hair of our hair. He had blue eyes, perhaps, whatever color they were, but they were the color of Mary's eyes. He looked and resembled his mother Mary. He carried the family line, and the family line goes all the way back through to David, the glorious king of Israel, with whom God had cut covenant. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus was born. He was born a human, full human, of a virgin mother of the descendant, descendant line of King David. Listen to this from Malachi chapter 5, verse 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now that all came about by the mighty providence of God because his parents lived in Nazareth. But because of a a political decision that the people had to be taxed, they had to go back to their hometowns, Mary and Joseph had to return to Bethlehem, their ancestral home. And there Jesus, in accordance with prophecy, was born of Mary. And here's what the prophet Micah said, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Or it's a better translation. But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. 
from you. One will go forth from me, for me, to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from everlasting, from the ancient days. So this one, born in Bethlehem, born of Mary, is also one who is called one of everlastingness, one of eternal days, one from the ancient time before the beginning of time. Here's the way John the Apostle wrote it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And his name is Jesus, the son of Mary, the son of David. Now, he is called David's Lord, not just son of David. So that was the stump of Jesus' question to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, hey, okay, he is rightfully the son of David. So tell me then, if he is the son of David, how can he then say in the Holy Spirit, Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, if David calls him Lord, how is he David's son? Ah, you see, he existed from the beginning. Though he is a descendant of David, he existed as the word before David was ever born, before Abraham was ever born. Remember that Jesus said in John 8 to some of his other critics, before Abraham was, I am. He took upon himself the very name of Almighty God. But here's where this really comes into focus. When you go to Jesus' trial, he is brought before Caiaphas, the legal high priest, and then he's taken to Annas, the one who was the high priest before him, whom the people still respected. They are relatives, by the way. Annas and then Caiaphas asked Jesus questions. He remained silent, saying nothing from the accusers and people that, that said things against him. But ultimately, you see, the high priest became so exasperated. Mark tells us. But he, that is, Jesus kept silent, and he did not answer. So again, the high priest was questioning him, and he said to him, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? The Son of the Blessed One? Now, that question by the high priest demanded an answer. And so Jesus, in accordance with what he needed to do, answered. For the first time, he speaks at his trial. And this is what he said. I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Or another translation. It says something very similar. I am. And hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, those words that Jesus spoke are an echo, actually almost a quotation, 
from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Listen. Daniel writes, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and came near before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not be taken away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's a claim to deity. The Son of Man to him is given universal dominion that all will honor and serve him. And so when Jesus speaks these words to the high priest, he is recalling this passage from Daniel 7 and he's recalling Moses' encounter with Yahweh at the burning bush recorded in Exodus chapter 3. Moses has been called by this bush that's on fire but is never consumed. And as he draws near the voice of Almighty, God speaks to him and he tells him to put off the shoes because he's standing on holy ground. And they have this conversation and God says, I'm sending you back to Egypt. You're to deliver my people. And then Moses, scratching his head, says, how can I do that? I fled and I don't have the power or the capacity to do that. And God says, I'll go with you. And then he comes up with another ejection and he says, but how will I tell them who you are? Who can I say sent me? And here's what God said. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name from generation to generation. He is Yahweh, the I am that I am. And to this name, Jesus attached himself in his response to the high priest. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus born of Mary, is fully man. And that's necessary if he is to redeem humanity. For only the one who committed the sin, the one who is guilty before God, the one who has been treacherous and betrayed God, that is humanity, can die, can suffer the consequences of that betrayal and that sin. But not any man will do. Because all men are born sinners except Christ himself who is born holy, without sin, and who never sinned. Not only must he be sinless and ultimately and totally holy, he must be fully man and must be able to represent the entirety of humanity just as Adam represented humanity before God. And so Jesus, as the second Adam, the full human man, must die on behalf and in place of the people he has come to redeem. A man must die 
but the only one who can die and be saving in his death is one who is fully man, pure and holy, and fully God with divine power. And that is Jesus born of Mary. He's fully man, fully God. And so as he who is full man, full God, two natures in one person, he and he alone is the mediator between God and humanity. He and he alone qualifies and carried out the redemptive acts to bring us into relationship with God. This is the one who is coming again. And so to understand his first coming, we must remember his second coming, his return, the hour of his ultimate coronation as king of the kingdom of God, the day in which all will be realized that he has acted on behalf of God because he is God and he has brought us to the Father and we shall dwell with him forever in a new heaven and a new earth. The writer of Hebrews says, in very little while, in just a little while, he who comes will come and he will not delay. So Luke records this words from Jesus. When you see signs of my return coming, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is near. There's a hymn. Reads like this. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain. Thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. Alleluia, alleluia. God appears on earth to reign. Yes, amen. Let all adore you high on your eternal throne. Savior, Take the power and glory. Claim the kingdom for your own. Alleluia, alleluia. You shall reign and you alone. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. The next time, remember the end before the beginning. For Christ who has come will come.